welcome to the Kintsugi Heroes podcast, where we share inspirational stories of everyday people going through different challenges and how they overcome them. Please be aware that the story you're about to hear may have moments of deeply felt emotions and personal experiences. If anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help keep you safe. If you love this conversation, please like and share it with your friends so we can continue to share more inspiration and hope to as many people as possible. Now, listen up for our next hero's story. And in this episode, I met with Michael Hughes and heard his very eloquently spoken story of what it is to be the husband in a couple who can't have children and what a journey he and his wife went on. It really opened my eyes and my heart opened so much more after hearing his story. He tells it through the lens of the husband, a male, male's voice. And often we hear these stories from the female, the mother. And he's, as he says, that's his wife's journey. He was there to talk about his journey. And I'm so glad he did. There was a lot that I learned from this. It was really eye-opening. And of course, he's learned from it and been able to step up and find a way to help others as a result of his adversity. It's a wonderful story. There's a lot of moments in this that had me very moved. I'm sure that it will be for you too. Enjoy this one with Michael Hughes. Well, here we are. It's another episode and I'm here with Michael Hughes. Michael, thank you so much for joining me on Kintsugi Heroes. Look, uh, it's great to be here and I'm privileged actually to, to chat with you little one. Thank you. I, I feel I feel honoured. Every guest that comes on, I feel honoured and grateful. So it's it's very mutual. Um, well, this is about your story. So how about you take us back to where your story begins? Could you describe where it begins, um, yeah, wherever you need to start, and uh, take us take us there? Okay. It starts. Probably won't tell you the date. It starts when we were, or my now wife, we were 16. We met, and um, just like any other um, couple, you, you, you know, once you once you know this is the one, you plan a life together. And, and so we were no different. Uh, I remember early on, uh, my Vicky, my wife, saying that uh, she said, mm, "Doctor says I might need some help having having children." And we were very young, we were very naive, very, yeah, very, you know, um, we weren't very worldly at the time. We were quite young and we didn't understand exactly what that meant. Now I look back and then we just thought, oh, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll worry about that when the time comes. So we get to uh, 25 and we decide we've, we've got married and, you know, now it's time. Now it's time. Um, just a, a little funny anecdote is that uh, my wife would have started when she was 18 or 19, but my parents always drilled into me, no, that's too early, that's too early. So, um, yeah, anyway, we got to 25 start, and we thought we'd have children. And so um, what that statement about needing help was is that uh, my, my wife has polycystic ovaries, and, I, and, and look, she's happy for me to mention this. You know, it's part of, you'll understand it's all part of our healing, so to speak. And so, yeah, what that meant was that we had to then follow the um, assisted uh, medical reproduction. I think that there's that's one term. Um, a lot of people will understand it as infertility treatment which usually finishes if if you're not success, successful through the different steps because there are many and i it will probably be a bit too much information to tell you what they are but uh, most people will understand that at the end of it there's ivf and we we so we jumped through all the hoops to try and have children um and we got to ivf and so we started to, uh, again, journey along 
that route. By this time, we were in our early 30s. Um, and so it, it was very important that we, um, hurry up because yes, the biological clock does tick. There's a, there's a lot of, lot of complications that come along with that. So, um, we had a, a, a many rounds of IVF. Now through that process as well, we found that, um, that my sperm count and sperm ability was really affected by how well I was at the time and um, particularly how much weight I put on. And that becomes a little bit, um, that becomes important later on. But yeah, so it's almost like we had this double whammy that, that we were fighting against to try and have children. And so the IVF, um, journey took us to at least our forties. And one of the things that, that you, people need to recognize about IVF is it's actually quite a toxic roller coaster because now don't get me wrong. I mean, it's great that people can, you know, ha have this uh, procedure available to them and, and have those children they want. But of course for us, it wasn't working. So it becomes this toxic roller coaster of hope and, um, and, and despair because they fill you full of hope. Yes, this round's going to work. And I, don't believe they tell you the truth about how successful they are. Let's just leave it at that so we don't get get ourselves into trouble. But, um, yeah, so uh, so you get filled with all this this hope, but then the despair that comes along with that when it doesn't work is, is very deep, and it gets deeper and it gets deeper. And so we got to 40, and I remember sitting... I remember Vicky coming back from uh, her doctor uh, who had said, look, you know, I think, I think it's time. I think it's time to stop. And I, we, my wife and I have a bit of a laugh about this because I've never seen her so driven, never seen her so driven when it was, when we were doing IVF. And she was so driven to have a child. And, and she's come home going, well, I don't think he's right. I think we'll keep going. For me, uh, that's, that really wasn't an option because I just remember sitting on the lounge, crying my eyes out, going, I can't, I, I can't, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, and, and that's because one of the things that I saw Vicky go through is the hormone treatment that she has to go through is hard. And the last round of IVF that we had, she actually was um, hyperstimulated, which, for those who don't know, means that you they keep you on a knife edge, if you will, of um, pumping you full of hormones so that you produce the most amount of eggs that you possibly could. But there is a danger that you can get poisoned from that. You are hyperstimulated. Uh, and I remember walking out into the the back of our house has tiles and she was on the floor in, a, in convulsions. And I just thought, we, we can't, we, we can't keep putting you through that either. It's just, it's, we have, there, there has to come a time when we draw a line in the sand and say, look, it's enough. We, we've done our best and, and, and then move on from that, which is quite an easy thing to say, but it's, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, so, we got to 40 um, and we said that a very long conversation, but we decided it was enough. We had to stop. And, and when, when we did stop and, and look, reflected back on that time, we realized that for a decade, all we did was try to have children. So think about uh, your holiday time, your sick leave, everything, everything is centered around trying to have a child. So uh, we would schedule holidays so that that was in line with the, um, with the procedures so that Vicky could have all her ultrasounds when she needed to and, and drug therapy and uh, egg pickups and all this sort of stuff. And we thought, we've done nothing for a decade. And we were depressed. 
we were extremely, extremely, um, it was an extreme to, uh, dark time, I should say. And, and so, yeah, we had to, um, make a, decide what we were going, how to get out of that. The beginnings of that was, uh, we sold some shares that we had and just went around the world for 12 weeks, which was great. It took you, it, it took you out of, this house, and this is the same house that we've always lived in because um, there's no point trying to get bigger when you, there's only still the two of you. But the problem is, is this house holds ghosts. It holds baggage of that those times where Vicky would have miscarried or we, we had the, the news we didn't want to hear. So when we went overseas, that was great. It, we were away from all of this, and it was fantastic. And we loved it so much, we did it again the next year. <laughs> and um, but what it what it didn't do is it didn't take us when we come home. All that baggage and all that uh, all those things I was talking about are still there. All those ghosts, as we like to say. And so it it has it took us a decade. To, to get through that, to um, become comfortable with our life. Um, there is a, um, and there are many things that happen within that time. There's things like what they call the friendship apocalypse, where all those people around you are having children. And, and that's the way our society works. It just, but just like having children changes your life. Not having children also changes your life because some people find it hard to deal with you. We find it hard to go to children's birthday parties, as an example, because it's a reminder, it's a trigger of what we don't have. And when, when all the uh, parents are around, you know, talking about their, their children and yeah, it's it's a tough time to be around because you feel like a well, a third wheel. You just feel awkward, and if, of course, there's that trigger that you may get swept up in the emotion, you know, the positive emotions on the day. But it's when you come home, just the two of you, uh, you know, that it it really it really smacks you. So we chose to say no, we're not going to go to those. And as much as we were overt about this and told people why. A lot of people didn't understand. They didn't get it. They just, oh, you've got to get over this. You've got to, um, uh, yeah, you've got to get over this. You, you, it's going to kill you. They were actual remarks that we've had from our family. Not, how, how, how can we make this easier for you? How can we help you still be part of the family? None of, there was nothing like that. So, and we are not the only ones that, that experience this because this is rife throughout what we call the childless community. Um, and so for, for me, I, a psychologist once said, I've got this thing called white night, uh, white night syndrome. Well, I need to fix everything. <laughs> I laugh, but it's probably a bit true. But um, so for me, I wanted to make a difference. I thought, well, Let's not help. Let's not have other people like us have to go through this. And so we tried to find um, support groups and things like that to, to try and find people just like us. And what we found was so both amazing, but at the same time, so sad because some of the stats that are, that get um, brought up now are something like one fifth of women will be childless. Now think of it, one fifth, twenty percent of all women will be childless, and that means that there will be people in your sphere of, and not just you, Avalon, but whoever's listening to this, there will be people in your sphere of influence that will be childless, but you probably will not know. Because they are dealing with a grief that is profound, that is life changing, but at the same time, they think no one cares. No, no one, no one will understand this because everyone else has children that are around them. Um, sadly, the, 
it's not even seen as important about childless men. So, guys, that uh, Australian researcher once said to me that I've tried to get research programs up and running to to sort of to research the childless men experience um, in Australia, and I can't get anyone interested because they think it's not a thing. It's, it's it it's not worth it. But I can tell you, as um, the custodian of over nearly three hundred male stories, that it is true and it it is real that men do grieve that they are not they are not fathers. And and uh, but uh, I should also clarify that with um, trans men. I, we have trans men in a group that that I help set up. Um, so, and we can, we can say with certainty that it affects every part of our community, however you identify. But, um, so yes. So what does that bring me to? So that brings me to trying to make a difference. So one of the things that we did on one of our trips overseas is we had the opportunity to go to Shepherd's Bush in the UK, uh, in London, where there was a, uh, it was called Fertility Fest. And there was a day there that, that was dealing with people who were childless. You know, what happens with fertility? You know, you don't, you are infertile. It doesn't work. And um, my wife looked at me when, when I said that. She was, are you crazy? What the, uh, we, we, why? What are we going to do this for? No, but it's, there is a day for us. There's a day for us. Anyway, what that did was um, we, we went to a, a few presentations on the day and it, it got us connected with our community. And one of the things that I still remember, and hopefully I don't tear up when I say this because I always do, is um, after one, the last event of the night, we were all around in the bar chatting and we, uh, with many people, um, Steph Phillips, who's a, a lovely lady in the UK who started uh, something called World Childless Week. And she has, it's about um, obviously educating the world about what it's like to be childless in this particular way. And many, many other women. Uh, Berenice, who I now do a podcast with, um, who else is there? Uh, many, many people. Um, but uh, so we've all had a bit to drink and we've gone outside and we, we're, of course, everyone's looking for something to eat by now. And I remember walking down the street thinking, where's Vicky? Turn around and there she is in this group of women. Um, it, with this group of women, and they're in this big hug together. And I'm thinking, and they're, they're all crying. And I'm thinking, and of course, me being a bloke, women crying, ah, what's going on? Um, I've walked up and said, is everything okay? And Vicky says, Michael, I feel like I belong. And that was quite quite a profound moment. For us, um, and so that put me on a on a trajectory where I thought, right, that's it. I'm I'm going to do something about this. Uh, Vicky, my wife, doesn't have. Well, I need to be careful how I say this, but she she's quite empathetic, and so she finds it really hard to to um, to. I guess get involved in the community because all the, the, the sad stories really hurt her. Whereas I tend to look at it from a different perspective and think, look, let's make some change. Um, and that's no secret that we're both very vocal about that. And so I, I decided I'm, I'm going to start a blog about uh, the, the male child's experience. There's lots of lots of lovely, beautiful women out there who, who are blogging about it as from a female's perspective, but us guys, not too many. I think I might have been one of, I don't know, a handful. Um, it was started, actually, it was it was Mother's Day Australia. It was Mother's Day in Australia, 2016. We were on another overseas trip. Um, and I'd seen a, an article by Bianca Doy, who's a, a, a Radio presenter in in Queensland, and um, it talked about she's been very open about her struggles of trying to be a parent, 
And she talks about why mother, why motherhood, sorry, Mother's Day hurt so much for her. So I read that and I thought that really spurred me on to, to write the blog as well. And that was on the side of the I-10 just outside of Quincy in northern, in northern Florida. It's funny how the world works, isn't it? So, um, so I, I wrote my first blog and was able to share it in some of the support groups that I'm in. It was very well received. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get too excited because I'm, I failed English miserably. So, but I thought, let's, let's do it anyway. Um, and so what then that blog got me to be noticed by World Childless Week and Steph asked me to become a ambassador for World Childless Week. Um, and then I've been asked to speak about the male childless experience. I've was interviewed by the ABC some time ago and it was, it was, look, the journalist was fantastic, great, really listened and got got to the point of, you know, my experience, and I was really, really thankful for that. But I can tell you what, people are brutal in the comments, absolutely brutal. Um, and so this is a really good example of why the childless find it really hard to speak out because, yeah, some people just, oh, shocking. So. Um, yeah, so where did that take us to? And then I got asked to be part of a podcast with um, two other ladies in the UK. And we are up to now 46 episodes, I think. And what what we are trying to do is, is delve into the many facets um, as what it means to be childless, because it's not just about IVF. It's, a, it's about many things. It's about chronic disease. So we've interviewed people that um, that they've had to make a forced choice of between do I have children and, and potentially die or do I not? Um, and uh, other people where um, they've concentrated on their career, let's say, for so long that it's now become very difficult, perhaps too late um, to have children. Um, they don't have the, the, the resources to, find, you know, have surrogacy or, or um, Things like that. Um, there is other domestic violence is a, is another one where people chose not to have children because they didn't want to be tied down too much because they need to be able to move and get away from uh, the perpetrator. Uh, and so, yeah, there's many, many different facets to this. And then looking at our LGBTQI community as well, that that adds another level of complexity. So this gruff fat, hairy guy who's just an ordinary Aussie bloke, I feel so privileged to have been party of these conversations and, um, as I say, finds beauty in such a, I don't want to say sad because I don't want to come across as sad, but in, in a difficult part of life, but there is such beauty in it as well because one of the things that that oozes from the childless communities is this uh, empathy that is just, as I say to them, we are the gold standard of how to treat you human beings and the, the rest of the world has a lot to learn from us. Um, but, yeah, and so I like to think that, that, yeah, that's my contribution to the world through being childless. Sorry for the interruption. This is Ian Westmoreland, the founder of Kintsugi Heroes, and thank you for listening to this story from one of our amazing heroes. Our mission is for these stories to provide hope and inspiration to people experiencing life challenges, and to also educate the broader community on how best to provide support. If you would like to help us to continue to produce more hero stories and cover more adversity themes, we would welcome all donations. These can be made via our website, kintsugiheroes.com. The donate function is at the bottom of the homepage. We'd also welcome any feedback. You can email me direct using ian at kintsugiheroes.com.au. Now let's get back to the story. Ooh. Well, Michael, um, 
first of all, thank you. <laughs> I, I can imagine that the years have just been, I guess, surprising in a sense, given where you started with Vicky, you know, at 25, thinking, yeah, let's, let's have babies. Um, and, and then the, the journey that's followed is, sounds one of those journeys that, you know, you could, couldn't have predicted. And yet mm. here you are today and smiling and being, and, and holding the, holding a, a mantle and a light for, for so many people like you, um, and letting them share in and connect with that understanding, which is so healing and so necessary. I've, I've got some questions if that's okay. Um, go far away, far away. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So when you, when you decided to have kids, when you said, yep, it's time. And then the doctor said, for whatever reason, oh, you, you can't just naturally have kids or it's not going to work. And you've got to da- go down this assisted re- reproductive program route. How did you feel? How did Vicky feel? I think, um, yeah, that's an interesting question. I think, well, for, for me, for me, I've, I come from a family where my parents grew up at the end of the Second World War. God, how old does that make me? Gee. Anyway, um, and, but they, particularly my mother just had a sort of attitude where, well, you just got to get on. You just got to get on with it. Um, and that's what I did. That's what I did. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we were, we were listened to, well, so that, sorry, we listened to the, doctors and the fertility experts saying, oh, yeah, we've got a 90% success rate. Yeah, we, we, this, yeah, we've got a really, really good chance. So, of course, you hook onto that. You hook onto the really good chance. Um, I've since uh, discovered, and as many of my colleagues in our community have, that that's not true. Uh, um, and so, but Why do they say it then? That, is that part of the spiel to just hook you in to, to, or do they want to keep you in a positive state of mind? If yeah. you're asking me, yes, they do mm-hmm. that to hook you in. And look, I don't think it's from, from malice. I, I think it, mm. well, they are an industry. Um, mm. I, <laughs> I was asked to speak at the European, um, there was a, a Fertility Europe had a online event a few weeks ago and I was asked to speak at that. And I think I'm not quite sure how the how the Aussie you know upfront way of talking went down with some of the more professional people in that talk because one of the things I said was you know the IVF industry and and I said and I mean it's an industry you are there to make money otherwise you wouldn't do it I don't think they're quite happy with that but hey I, you know it's nothing wrong with ruffling a bit of feathers because one of the things they need to understand is that they have a duty of care. To, to tell the truth and not, not BS it because we're talking about people's lives here. We talk about the way that people form their lives. And if it's not going to work or if it's, if it's not, if it's not as uh, a miracle as they say, just tell people that because you set them up on the wrong path. If you're, um, telling fibs, so to speak. Mm, yeah. So, in other words, you feel like you're hoodwinked just or lied to, so to speak. Yeah, but that doesn't, very... that doesn't come until later. So, the answer to your yeah, question yeah. is we just got stuck in and, you know, we were mm. enthused by it all. But it's not until afterwards sure. that you come to these realisations. Now, some people may go, oh, well, it just didn't work for you. That's why you get sour grapes. But uh, I'm not the only one that feels this way. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and saying that it's an industry you had to pay for this, right? It wasn't like it was covered under Medicare or, or any kind of... Oh, there is, is, there right? is some of it covered under Medicare. And look, mm-hmm. we were in a position, uh, I got a fairly good job, and so we were in a position to, well, we had the resources. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that don't, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. a lot of people yeah. that don't, and that's, yeah, that's a sad yeah. thing to do. Yeah, my understanding is it, it, there is, you know, fair amount of cost involved have, having yes. mm-hmm. friends that have gone through that. Yep. Um, definitely. When you went, started to go through it, did they give you any uh, e- extra resources as in here's a support group or here's, here's other things that we recommend you do 
you know, let's look at nutrition. Did they give you anything else or was it no. just the program? Just just the program. There, 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 there was a, a support group of such, but that was while you were going through the process. That was while you were paying money. And then mm. once, so I use the term, once we decided to know enough was enough, we were set adrift. And I say it took us 10 years, 10 years to become comfortable with that into a, to, when we got to 50. And this is where I get a bit of a bee in my bonnet about um, the IVF industry need to take responsibility for what you have created because you're selling the dream. It didn't work. Now take responsibility for what you have created in that respect. Mm. Mm. It's really sad because, you know, this is a, um, I mean, it, it, it's a fundamental aspect of it's life, right? We're talking mm. about life here, mm-hmm. creation of life. Mm-hmm. And you were not given the ability to have that. So given it's such a mammoth, impactful thing, surely there would, well, this is coming from someone who has not had to go through that, right? So there's a bit of naivety, but I'm quite aware that it's an industry. I look at that and go, well, given it's such a mammoth and impactful process and part of life, surely there'd be some kind of support that they would give you emotionally, mentally, psychologically, after the fact, given you've just spent how long going through this, having your dreams constantly built up and then squashed and and then it's all over. This is a recipe for, you know, mental health disaster. Oh yeah. There's many there's many people that would do not survive this. Um yeah, be it a relationship or mm. um and there, sadly, there are people that contemplate life is now not worth living. Uh, the lady I do a podcast with, Berenice, she's been very open about that, so I can I can say that she thought about that. And it was only her dog that um, you would have to listen to the podcast episode, but it, it, is, it, is, it is her dog that made her change her mind. So I'm very keen. Her dog's name's Molly, and I'm very keen on having a mug that says "We love Molly too." That's beautiful. You know what you described is another. Well, it's a very strong use case from a community and a society perspective to have something built in. It, 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 it's like humanity, um, connection, understanding that creates the healing, and to think that your friends that were able to have kids were so un you know not understanding and made life hard for you is it's quite painful to hear that um and i'm sad for you i'm sad that you went had that experience because i know that it, it it's discrimination but it's also heart-wrenching yeah um, look, funny i'm sorry if i could interrupt you there funny that you said well no, i shouldn't say funny but um that just shows you the limit of my vocabulary <laughs> I recently, in the company that I work for, uh, had the opportunity to talk about this as well. And I got a, a message, a private message from someone who said, um, she was a mother, and she goes, I didn't even realise this was a thing. I, I didn't even know. So I, I think I just need to preface that, yeah, that it's not usually out of malice. It's just usually that people just don't even realise that childlessness is a thing. Uh, and this is one of the things that we – one of the reasons why I'm very passionate about being vocal is that the the whole conversation can sometimes get hijacked by and I, by people who identify as child-free. Now, please, I, I just want to say that child-free people are, have made a, a – a, uh, you know, a sound decision about their life where they don't want you, which is their right to do. Uh, but unfortunately, um, everyone else seems to think, well, if you don't have children, you fall into that bucket. You fall into, you chose not to have children. And where uh, the child really are happy with the decision that they've made, the childless are, are not. Mm. Or because they didn't have the choice. 
Mm. So you may hear the mm. term child is not by choice. And so, yeah, so that's why I say, I say that there's, it's usually not malice. It's just purely uh, they're not educated. They don't, they have never been exposed to it. And it's up to us because we're the only people that can actually make this happen is to, to be vocal about it and, and yeah, try and change the paradigm. And that's where my work in the podcast with my other two co-presenters, you know, fits in. Yeah. Um, along that line, let's go back to when, I guess, at first in that, in your forties, when you decided to stop mm -hmm. and there's obviously, you know, you spent a decade of, just, I guess, integrating and coming to terms with and, you know, starting to create, you know, life outside of trying to have a baby. Mm -hmm. And then you talk about um, you're not choosing not to go to friends' events where there's a birthday, child birthday party and that kind of thing. In hindsight, what would have helped you? What would have been the most loving, supporting thing that you're friends with children could have done for you and Vicky? Um, best word I can think about is inclusion. So having, having said all I've said, one of the things that Vicky holds really dear to her is that her best friend um, said, I want you to be at the birth of my daughter. And she she did. It was a it was a big call. It was it was not an easy thing that we come to terms with, but she did. And um, that young lady's now in her early twenties, and she looks at Vicky as a as her second mum, and they have a really they have a really good relationship. Really, and it it's a deep relationship because Vicky has been part of that that young girl's life since she was born. And so it's a really good example of just in, inclusion. Um, rather than uh, trying to put your own values onto a childless person, just just include them. That can sometimes mm. just be enough, because then it takes its it, it becomes its own critical mass, and it and it moves on from there. Mm. That makes sense. Mm. Yes. It, it, let's say you, so you were, you, you said before you, you and Vicky were quite open. Uh, you told mm -hmm. people, you know, mm -hmm. so they knew. What if there's a couple that aren't so vocal and they're, they're keeping it in? What they should do is seek out the, the, our community. There is a warm, supportive, empathetic, um, beautiful, bunch of people just waiting to embrace them um but yeah you're gonna have to seek them out because uh people like there, there are people like me that and other uh people around the world that are quite vocal um so seek them out um if you're listening to this and you it resonates with you seek me out you will find me on social media if you put michael hughes childless i'm sure i'll pop up somewhere and if you see a, you know, a, a chubby girl mm. with a, you know, gray, gray beard, that's me. And, um, yeah, because, sorry, I'm just now going to waffle. I'm going to stop that. But yeah, I it's think okay. that's the best point. Seek out the community because there are some, there, there mm. is a wonderful one just waiting to embrace you. Mm, that's nice. How did you and Vicky survive the first 10 years? After stopping the IVF, holidays, and I, 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 that's not a tongue-in-cheek thing. That is, it's fair dinkum, as as we say. We went on. Uh, I don't look. I really can't tell you how much money we spent on holidays. But again, what it does is it takes us away from here. It takes us away from those because the ghosts will always be there. Mm. Uh, but. Um, New experiences around the world is something we we hold quite dear because, you know, there'll be memories that that'll last forever, and um, mm. you know we we also did a good decade on the 
um, Psychologist Couch as well. Uh, we both have to deal with um, some childhood, childhood sexual abuse and, and other things. And again, I'm, I'm allowed to talk about that but on behalf of Vicky and I. Um, so what that taught us through that whole um, journey was how to talk about the right things. Uh, and look, don't get me wrong, it's still hard sometimes, but we, we're skilled up in that knowing that if we can talk about the right things, we, we, you know, we, we're getting to the root of a problem. And because I can tell you there are some, there are some people out there and, and I'm, look, I'm a cis male, so I need to, I just need to preface that, that most of my experience is with heterosexual couples. And I can tell you that I know many who don't actually talk about what it's like to be childless within their own, within their own couple. Mm. So, um, and that's another, yeah. So Vicky and I were lucky in that respect that we got that help. We got that support. We learned from it. And that's also been part of that as well. Mm. Did you have separate counseling or was it together or a bit of it both? It was both. It was both. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Depending on, um, yeah. Uh, we, and we look, we were really, so one of the things, if you're if you are childless and you're looking for support in that that way, one of the things I would say is be very picky with who you go and see, because not every therapist is going to be able to resonate with you. Um, we were lucky; we found a we found a lovely woman who had who understood grief and trauma. She had lost her own husband. She had lost her own daughter, and so yeah, she was trauma informed. But there are yeah. there are many people out there who aren't so just be picky having said that i can put you on to some people that also are therapists in that area as well um that's beautiful very very helpful um michael thank you so much for that lastly um i'm really interested in i know we've just talked kind of about the healing journey but i'd like to just go back to the point, the moment where you both realised it was over. You talked about how you said to Vicky, no, I don't think I can go through this again. What was it like for her the moment she accepted and dropped that driven, drivenness to keep trying? What, what happened with her? How did she pivot? Um. I think it was it was a it was a long process for her, uh, and, and look, she'll still tell you now that there'll be times when she'll go, she'll go to in the shower and have a thought, and she'll be crying in the shower. You have been at fifty five, um, so it's it was a longer process for her. For me, at that particular time, I it was sort of uh, that's a that's a weight off my shoulder, but for her. It was it was a much longer uh, process because yes, yeah, she firstly had to come to terms with we're going to stop. Um, she had to she had to come to terms with my point of view that didn't sit with hers. She still had that drive, and it took a lot. It took quite a while for that to wean off. Uh, wean off probably not the right word, but yeah, it was a look. It was a long process, and and we we still. We're going through uh, some therapy at that time as well, um, which helped. But yeah, it it look and it wasn't it was an easy decision. Be well, it wasn't hard, it wasn't easy for her because one of the things that she said was, "I don't want to ever look back with regret and go, I didn't try hard enough." Mm. But once you know, once we t- we we began talking about it, you know, we had to take lots of things into consideration, like our age. Um, the doctor's advice. I mean, they're not all bad, are they? I mean, there's, there's, there's <laughs> doctors are good people, but, but we, we did listen to some of their advice where they said, look, you know, it, there's going to be a big chance. If, if it does work from this point on, it's going to be a big chance that, that your child will have a disability. Is that something that you can handle? And these are the sort of things that we talked about because could we? And I was very open. I said, I, I couldn't. Vicky was very open. I said, I could. No problem. 
because and one of the things that this whole process has taught us that we parenthood is seen very differently between uh, Vicky and I. I mean, there was a, the, the drive and the yearning was there, but it just we have different views and we get different things. We believe we would have got different things from it. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, we went through, we started to look at it from a logical perspective and thought, well, okay, look, let's say that this happened. We get to 45 and we have a success. Do we, could we deal with the stress of knowing that are we going to have a child with disability? That child will be 15 and we'll be 60. Mm. You know, that, I remember a conversation with a, one of my neighbours. He he was in a similar situation to that where that had a child who had some severe disabilities and so that scared them from having another child. But then, um, you know, as, as they become to manage their life better, they did have another child. I think he was 50 and he had another child or they had another child. And, and he says, I can't, I, I can't keep up. It, it's It's killing me because I don't have that energy anymore. So these are the th all the things that go into that mm -hmm. not easy decision. No, no. Um, you, you know, you raise so many very practical, wise and real points that, you know, many couples that do have kids never talk about. You know, they don't even get to those kind of levels of topics of conversation. And there's there's other there's other things which I've become now exposed to is that the resentment that actually builds in the child as well. So um, I was watching a, an SBS doco about um, children late in life or, or, or women who had donors. And so these, I mean, they're adults now, but they don't know who their fathers are. And so they actually quite, they're resentful to their parents because they felt that they didn't have the childhood that everyone else had because mum and dad were old. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, they're all, these are all the things that, that, that come into those, that decision-making. Oh yeah. And they're all real. And, and it's, it's great that you're talking about these things and bringing them out into the light. Um, and wonderful to hear that you've got the podcast that you're doing with these other two ladies. So for anyone who's listening, who is going through this uh, or, is you know childless i think definitely have a look at michael's podcast and uh, seek seek that refuge of that support group and the network of people that understand you um, one, one of the other things too well, it's really weird i don't normally talk about myself but um or haven't done for the last 50 years uh there's also we also have a support group for, for spe specifically for males as well so where we we knew that I do this with a, a couple of guy in uh, Melbourne, another guy in the UK, we, we had, and a guy in Latvia and a guy in Zimbabwe that we um, admin this group. And it, we realised that there needs to be a safe space for childless men to, to yeah, uh, express how that, well, yeah, I'll, I'll say express how they're feeling, but what it's turned out to be is a place where obviously they can seek support from people who understand them. But also place where we can um, develop a vocabulary, because one of the things about the childless is that because we don't talk about it, because we don't come together, because we're not this critical mass, we feel that we can't sometimes express how we feel, because we, yeah, we we haven't explored the language of what it means to be childless. So mm. yeah, the the men's group particularly, that's one of the things that we do. That's really powerful. Well done. Oh, thank you. Michael, uh, I just want to thank you for coming and sharing your story. Um, your journey, oh, man, I mean, I'm just putting myself in your, yours and Vicky's shoes and I just uh, heads off to you for, for surviving it, for being such warriors and for coming through and finding a way to give back to others and the way you're helping others. And I love that you've, you know, found your, found your place, found your tribe and you've got a smile on your face and um, yeah, it's, it's so much joy and so many positive things that obviously have come out of this. 
Um, and it's, it's a touchy subject. It's, it's hard. And for people that have children that don't, that don't understand, I think it's really important that they listen to this and I hope, hopefully they are and they're starting to understand what it's like for people who, like yourself and Vicky, who can't have children. So I just want to thank you for the work you're doing and for creating the awareness and sharing your story today. I'd thank you so much for allowing me to talk about this because it is a subject that not many people want to listen to. Um, Mm. And so, yeah, any chance we get, we grab it with both hands. And, um, (laughs) yeah, so I'd, I'd like to thank you for giving us the opportunity. You're welcome. I do have a final question for you, Michael. And that is, if there's, if there's someone listening to this right now who might be going through IVF or is struggling to get pregnant or has figured out that maybe it's not going to work or, you know, or it's their brother or sister or friend that's going through it, is there something you'd like to say to them? Yeah. I'd just like to say that the best support so, so for those who are experiencing it, seek, yeah, seek out, seek out the community. Um, so if, if you've come to that point of acceptance, cause it, it'd be really, uh, yeah, if you've come to that point of acceptance where you think it's not going to work, then seek out the community now. I know it's tough and I know it's, and I know it's painful, but just having listening to or, or, Reading about other people's experiences will make you feel so less alone because it is a lonely, lonely journey when the world around you is focusing on family and the the government are focusing on family. Every budget is about family and you feel so isolated. And because of those things I talked about earlier, seek out the community. You'll be warmly welcomed. And for those who have people in their family that um, that are childless, the best thing you can do is not tell them what to do. It's just listen and say, tell me. I want to listen to you. And so help me understand what life is like for you. So simple and yet that the essence of true compassion and connection and being of service to our fellow human. Mm. Certainly is. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. It's uh, a path less travelled, I should say, I was about to say, but, you know, it's, it's a journey that has brought you to where you are today and, and I just want to, yeah, again, honour you. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing that and I know that your message will touch a lot of people's hearts. So thank you. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Kintsugi Heroes. Please like and share the show to your friends so we can get this out to even more people. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, please reach out using the contact details below. Join us next week for our next hero story. Until then, keep being you and remember that we are all heroes in our own unique way.